What was Tony wearing when he came in for his interview? I feel like it was a bow tie. Oh, my God. With like a members only jacket, right? In my mind, I have no idea. (laughs) Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A., And with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 17 years, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain, also a TV writer and producer. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. Today, we have a former assistant extravaganza. Our former assistant, Elise Applebaum, is coming on to talk about writers groups with us, why they're so important, and how to make the most of being in one. And then we asked our very first assistant, Tony Dodds, to come in and talk with us about what it takes to be not just a good, but a great assistant. Yes, and Tony is also providing a writing-related Hollywood hack this week. And finally, we have what is probably... Our last This Is Us celebrity sighting. But first, we wanted to share an email from a listener named Deanna. In episode 28, we debated the merits of business gifts, and we heard from a lot of you. Um, But Deanna has perfected the art of the business gift. She says, I'm one of those people who loves to give holiday gifts. My most successful holiday season was four years ago when I was a writer's assistant on CSI. I didn't have the finances to get the department spa days or nice bottles of wine, so instead I bought 15 bottles of two-buck chuck, which is the cheap wine at Trader Joe's, we should mention, used the show's office supplies to print customized labels for all the writers and other assistants using inside jokes to describe the wine on the back. Everyone went nuts. They were such a hit that I plan on doing this on every show from now on, though it only works when you know the people you work with really well. Because I was still on CSI the following year, I made everyone customized desk nameplates with creative titles also based on inside jokes. Those were a little pricier because I had to order them from a company, but after the wine year, they gave me a script, related, maybe, so I could afford it. You know what I forgot, Liz? I forgot about, remember when I made hats for everyone on the shield and we got those H-Dog things? yes. You knitted caps. Those were awesome. And that was also based on an inside joke. Well, I love this from Deanna, and she attached photos of the wine and the text um, that she put on the labels, which is just so funny and so well-written, we should mention. You can tell from the labels that she's a very good writer. Yes. So Christmas is over, but you can put this one in your back pocket for next year, or if you still want to scramble and try to get a gift in to bring back after hiatus um, for all the assistants out there who might be on hiatus, you can do this and come back in January with something awesome. Yeah, and you know what this made me think of is uh, people who do this tend to become quite successful. So well done, Deanna. Yeah. I mean, we still have Christmas presents from Adam Goldberg and Austin Mm -hmm. Winsberg, who were staff writers with us on our very first primetime job. (laughs) Adam went on to create the Goldbergs on ABC and Austin created Jake in Progress. And now he's on a new show called 9JKL. Yeah. And they made these action figures when we were on Glory Days for all the writers and for Kevin Williamson. They basically, I don't know where they got these things, but they got action figures that looked like all the characters, and then they made, they printed um, 
labels. Like, yeah, for them. It looked like you were getting a real action figure from the show, which of course did not exist. Yes. They were very impressive. And we still have them. So we'll we post pictures of them on our Instagram, which is at Sfain and at Liz Craft, hashtag happier in Hollywood. Thanks, Deanna. You clearly have a very bright future. Maybe we'll run into you in a writer's room one day. Indeed. Okay, Sarah, let's dive into our segment from the treadmill desk of, in which we discuss what's most pressing in our psyches this week. And this week, it's writer's groups. We're constantly telling people who want to be writers that the first thing they need to do is get into a writer's group. Yes. And to join us for the discussion, we have Elise Applebaum. Elise was our assistant when we were on The Vampire Diaries and for the pilot of The Secret Circle and two pilots of a show um, that didn't get picked up called The Selection. She's currently the script coordinator on Good Girls, the new NBC show from the amazing Jenna Bands. Um, Elise, welcome. Hi, Elise. Hi. Hi. It's so good to hear your voice. Same. We miss you. <laughs> I miss you guys always. <laughs> we miss you. And um, can you just quickly, before we dive in, tell us what a script coordinator is? Sure. We are the person who uh, proofreads the script, makes sure that all the like real name or not real, but like any any brands we say, any names we might make up, all that stuff is cleared so that we don't get sued. Um, we make sure the continuity is correct from one episode to the next, and we talk to production um, and just make sure, in general, that they are uh, that we're all good to sh- good to shoot the script. And I have to say, you are one of the most detail-oriented people we have ever known, mm. and you were the valedictorian <laughs> in your high school. I have to brag oh, no. on you a bit. So you are like oh, boy. any script is very safe in your hands. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So, Elise, you have a pretty intense writer's group. Um, We think that's a good thing. And we want to hear, how did your writer's group get started? I actually, so you guys told me I should join a writing group and uh, assistants have these email groups. So I saw sort of like an ad saying we're looking for someone to be in our drama writing group. And I sent in uh, actually a Vampire Diary spec for them to look at. It was sufficient, I guess. And so I got into (laughs) the group. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, so it was an existing group and they were re-upping. Uh, they needed a new member. So tell us more just quickly about these email groups. Um, can you tell us what some of them are? It's a whole culture of, yeah, it's Yahoo groups. Um, I think I'm in one called TV writers or something like that. And that's kind of full of a lot of newbies. Like they have a lot of newbie questions. I'm in one called script cord, which is uh, a lot of script coordinators asking each other questions on the fly. Like uh, when final draft is giving the problems or stuff like that. And I'm in one for women. I think it might be through USC. I'm in one called next gen femmes, I think, which is just all women. Um, There's a lot of them floating around out there. There's also Facebook groups. There's awesome assistance, which is very big. I think it's 6,000 people. Um, so there's just, there's a lot of internet resources out there. I get a lot of emails, uh, but yeah, sometimes it can be amusing to watch uh, the drama unfold as a group uh, argues about something throughout the day. <laughs> so I like that this sort of online group led to you being in an actual group with actual people who yes. you met with face to face. Yes. And we've been meeting for years now. Like we're like family to each other. And what are the requirements? Like one, so to get in, it sounds like you have to submit a script and does the whole group read it? So, so yeah, the, I guess the weekly, do you want to know the weekly requirements? Yes. Yeah. Typically we'll submit either an outline or some sort of beat sheet or maybe an act. Usually it's not more than 20-ish pages per session. And then uh, everyone will read it. And we have, 
It used to be that we would say, I think, strengths, weaknesses, and notes or thoughts. Um, but I didn't like saying weaknesses. So now I, we just say strengths and then question suggestions. Because oh, I felt like weaknesses was... I don't know. I didn't like to say, oh, this is what's weak. I just like to say, this is what I have questions about. Mm-hmm. That's sweet. <laughs> and Elise, do you think it's helpful both in terms of the craft of writing and the business of writing? I definitely think for our group, yes, because the majority of us have worked in the business. So we have sort of an insider view, I guess, of what scripts are really like. Uh, and so it like I'll sometimes say like you know if I was in a production meeting I might have this note because I can't really see what you're trying to show or mm-hmm. things like I mean maybe that's maybe that's not a note that they necessarily want at that point but I think sometimes it can be helpful to think about if we were about to film this kind of what's missing what would be good to have in there do you meet once a month how often do you meet we try we try to meet once a week but like oh, wow. people have wow. babies people get married people ha- you know how are dealing with life stuff you know, sometimes we meet once a month, sometimes we meet once a week, sometimes we meet every other month. It just kind of depends on what's going on in everyone's lives. Now, would people get kicked out of your group if they weren't producing enough material? Not if they weren't producing enough material, I would say, but probably if they weren't willing to read other people's material. Like, even if you can't show up to the group, you're supposed to, you know, like, sometimes I have work or I have something come up, but I still send everyone their feedback as soon as I can. I think if you weren't reading and responding to people's scripts, that would probably be more of an offense than um, not submitting your own work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it seems to be just taking it seriously, the yeah. wanting to be a writer. I mean, I know Sarah and I are always telling people who are aspiring writers, hang out with other people who are very ambitious because yeah. you don't want to be with people who just like hanging out in a cafe chatting about writing. You want to be with people who are actually writing and who are actually reading stuff, which, I mean, it sounds like your group really fosters that. You know, we were part of why we harangued you and why we harangued other <laughs> people um, about getting into writers groups is that we were in one when we first moved here. And it was, I mean, profoundly important for us, right? I mean, oh, when you say huge. And we wanted to do this episode now, actually, because I recently found our founding principles document. Um, and oh, gonna, yeah, I saw that. Online. It's fabulous. I'm going to post it on my Instagram, which is at Fain for anyone who's interested. Um, I should be clear, I didn't write it. It was passed out by our group leaders, Greg Davis, who was my neighbor at the time, and Dan Davis at our very first meeting. And I was wondering, Elise, do you have anything like this founding principles document for your group? I don't know if we do because I wasn't there, but I do know that as a sort of vestige of whoever started it, we're called the staffed writing group because it was like their goal for everyone to be staffed. Oh. And so, um, <laughs> so a mission statement. Um, yeah. Nice. Yeah. A mission statement. That's great. That's like Sarah and I used to have our bestsellers club. Right. <laughs> That's disbanded. <laughs> um, well, Elise, why would you tell people who are just starting down the writing path that a writer's group is so important? Well, first of all, as a writer, you have to just get a lot of your bad stuff out first. And so Mm. I think it's good to just have a place where you can toss your content at people and they can give you hopefully candid feedback. That's a really good reason. I was just thinking that, like, if we're on our own, we're often either too hard on ourselves or too easy on Mm. Mm ourselves. So you need, like, a writer's group that's going to be honest, you know, and really help you get better. But not tear you down. Yeah. And to ask those questions that you don't always, I mean, there's two of you, so you guys can bounce things off each other, but sometimes with a writing group, they'll ask a question and I'll be like, oh yeah, obviously, like, 
why didn't I think of that? And it sort of sends you in another direction. I also think that once you've been writing for a group like I have for so long, where they sort of know me and they know my intentions, it's really interesting because they can help me get a script to a certain point where they sort of, they know exactly what I'm trying to do. And then I can take it to an outside reader, like another friend who doesn't know what I was trying to do. And they can give me a whole, it's like sometimes you're only halfway with your writing group. You then have to take it out and have some other people bounce Mm -hmm. it off as well. One thing that I always um, think is true is that people succeed in groups. Yes. So I also think, I mean, again, it goes to having a group of people who have a very clear intention and who are working toward that intention can make a huge difference. Elise, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Elise. We're glad that your writer's group worked out for you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yes, all because of you. Thank you. And hopefully we'll (laughs) talk to you soon. All right, Liz, now it's time for a segment we call From the Outer Office, where we check in with our assistant, except we don't have an assistant right now. So we are calling this Formerly from the Outer Office. Yes, we've just been through the process of hiring a new assistant. She starts next week. And we have heard that a lot of assistants and people who want to get jobs as assistants are listening to Happier in Hollywood. So we thought it would be fun to have a segment on what it takes to be a good assistant Because it's not an easy job. No, it's really not an easy job. So we asked our very first assistant, Tony Dodds, to join us to talk about that. Um, Hello, everyone. Hey, Tony. Nice to see you you again. Thanks for coming. You look wonderful. I don't. (laughs) But anyway, go on. All right. So we have had wonderful assistants, but Tony was freaking amazing. And I think, didn't you work for us for three years? Too long in mm-hmm. the assistant world, I would say, but <laughs> working for you, it was great. And I, I mean, I still remember when you came and like sat down and said you were leaving and I cried. I cried. Well, <laughs> both of you at that time were like into baby stuff. Yeah. So I, yeah. hormones were high. That's yeah, true. When I, when Liz, I, I think, I was on yeah. maternity leave. I was leave. on maternity, uh, yes, I was on maternity leave. Yeah. Tony came over and actually took pictures of Jack yeah. and yes. broke the news to me oh. that he was going. Yeah. It was tragic when you left. But you went to work for our friend Bob, yes. who then helped launch your comedy yes. writing career, which yes. is why you left, because exactly. that's what you wanted. Yeah. And then we hired Elise, who mm-hmm. we just spoke to. And so all was well. But we still miss you. We uh, I miss you, too. No, I, those were great times. Okay. Before we talk about your assistant prowess, let's yes. skip to your happy ending. You're now a full-on sitcom writer. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I worked for you, and then I went and worked for Bob Fisher who really did me the solid of, like, helping me get that first kind of credit and the first job. And, and we should say Bob is a writer. He wrote Wedding Crashers. Yes. Um, and then he has multiple yes. TV shows. Yeah. One of the things that is a huge part is just the luck of, is your boss someone who likes to help people? Right. And in a position to do so. Exactly. Because that's what you don't know if that's going to roll around. You don't around. know that. You don't yeah. know who's got the, you know, who's got the scepter at the time to go, it's <laughs> yeah. going to go to you or that type of thing. And so that was huge. And I know that you guys have helped your assistants. And that's just a big – you just don't know that when you start working for someone. Yeah. Although I think, honest, I mean, you've benefited more than any of our other assistants. Yeah. Like, well, you were smart. You moved at just the right time. Right. Like, you knew Bob through us. Mm -hmm. Then he had a show, and you were like, okay, this is the moment. I remember you called, and you were like, this is it. Like, I want this job. You've got to call Bob and tell him to hire me today. Right. Right. And we did. We called. We're like, Bob. 
You're going to hire Tony. You now. have to t- hire Tony. <laughs> That's yeah. it. Yeah. Done. No, and, and that brings up another thing about being an assistant, which is like never – you're always better off getting a job before a job is open. Yeah. Being mm. that person they're thinking about. I mean, listen, there are too many qualified candidates. If I was going to get a job, it was just going to be better for me to try and get there early before it ever existed. And then they're like, oh, we're going to need someone. Well, there's the guy. Well, and you did that. I think yours was the first resume we got when we were hiring on Women's Murder Club. And at the time, um, my girlfriend who became my wife was working in an agency. And so we were – I had, in a sense, early info. And that was huge. And when you started working for us – yes. You had more pilot experience than we did. That's right. That's which absolutely right. Which was also right. nice. <laughs> yes, but thank God because yeah. we had no. no idea what we were doing. So we should go back and say, so we hired you when we got the green light, <clears throat> when we got the green light to make the Women's Murder Club pilot. Yes. Someone told us the first things you have to do are hire a line producer and an assistant. Yeah. And so that's when the, your resume came in. It was the first one we got. Big old Tony Dodds, I remember, in uh, big font. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> stand out. Well, and you showed up early. And in my mind, you had a clipboard. I don't know if you mm. really did. You know, I love accessories, guys. You know that. Um. <laughs> but since then, we always judge whether people are early or not. Oh, I really? mean, we always say, well, Tony was half an hour early. And, you know, we, we take that into account because we we're like, if they really want it, they'll be early because yeah. yeah. they're not going to risk being late. Right. I credit my parents, my mom would always, <laughs> and my stepdad would always be like, early is on time and on time is late. Yes. So. I so believe that. Well, in L.A., it's the opposite. I mean, people show up so yeah. late yeah. that I'm, I, obviously it stood out in some. It did. Yeah. 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 Okay. So. What I want to know, Tony, is what do you think makes a good assistant? Because you, you really – I mean, even the whole time you worked for us, your former boss, Judy right. – Hoffman, right. Judy Hoffman was constantly <laughs> contacting you and trying to get you to come back to her. Right, um, But yeah. you – you know, you were on the writing track. So – but, like, you, I think, are universally loved as an assistant. Yeah. Not, it's not just us. And no. as a person. And as a person. Yeah. Thank you. Um <laughs> One thing that's odd is so many people I know come to Hollywood with their dream and it's very specific and they know exactly what they Mm want to do. And I was thinking back when you guys called me to come in that I remember sitting in your interview and saying, I don't know exactly what I want to do. And I think for you guys, I I remember at the time you were getting a lot of pressure from assistants, maybe people um, asking to be interviewed that were like, I want to be a writer's assistant and I want to get a script. And and there was this pre- – I think you were feeling some sort of like pressure that, boy, mm. if we hire this person, we got to give them stuff like right away. Right, right. You know, it's – and there's a time to let everyone when you're an assistant know what it is that you want. That's mm-hmm. an important mm-hmm. moment, you know. Yeah. But otherwise, it's like do your job. You know, like sign up, get the job make you two fall in love with me, and then you'll help me. Yes, that yeah. was an incredibly effective strategy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it, now... Because <laughs> we fell madly yeah. in love with you. But I, yeah. didn't, I didn't know exactly what... I couldn't give you the ask at a certain mm-hmm. point. Just saying, I want to be here. I want to be around this. Um, I want to do a good job. Um, like, I remember when we would go off on a trip, you would send us with like yeah. a little buck slip that had like our flight information yeah. and everything we needed to know. And it was yeah. just very comforting. I mean, yeah. I remember my friends like 
on the East Coast just being like, what the hell is this? Like, you know, you're such a Hollywood diva. But I was like, isn't it wonderful? Like, I love being a Hollywood. You made us feel so taken care of. Yeah. Whether we deserve it or not, it's really nice to have someone make you feel that way. No, I mean, that's a big part of being an assistant, especially when you work for a person. You have, you know, I and this, I, I credit Judy with this. Judy always... Uh, who was a manager and managed, you know, like she was a big agent and then managed uh, like Kevin Klein and Kenneth Branagh and I mean, Sally Field, Julie Louis-Dreyfus, like huge people. But like I knew Judy was my client. Right. That was my one client was Judy. Judy kept her clients happy. I had to keep her happy. If you have that stuff on lock, a lot of other stuff (laughs) literally can fall through the cracks, you know, And, and like you can do your stuff and, you know, do your writing or whatever. As long as your boss thinks things are going smooth, like, they're going smooth. That's (laughs) the reality. So I think, like, as an assistant, some of that stuff, I mean, that's a stupid term, concierge game, but, like, that was it. That was how I kind of saw it is, like, how can I, um, I don't know, just make you feel like you're staying at the Four Seasons, you know, instead of, like, Motel 6 assistant, you know? Yeah. And it did feel that way. No, it was it great. Yeah, I know. No. I missed the buck slips. Yeah, buck oh, no. slips, man. Buck slips went yeah. out of fashion. Oh, not in my world. Oh, no way. No, no yeah, way. For, they still exist. For people out there who don't know, buck slips are these, like, long, narrow... Um, Heavy stock paper. Yeah. yeah. Like, a, usually, like a third of a page of a letter yeah. page. But, like... And there's something... There's something sexy about them. Yeah. You know Usually what I mean? they have like, the show you're on at the embossed. top and your name at the bottom. Yeah. And you can just – they're just delightful. Tony, one thing that I love about you and other assistants we've had is that you really were invested in what we were doing. I mean yeah. it felt like our success was your success. Like you cared. You had ownership. And I think that gave you a lot of authority with everyone around us. I was still excited to do the job. Yeah. And, and that's a hard part about yes. this job. Like, I kind of think, like, you have to prepare yourself for this could take 10 years before, like, you get your first real staff job and you're you're working. It, it just – and so I was fortunate that when I started with you – um, I was still just really excited, you know, and, and it all just worked out. I, I met these two women on a pilot and then, oh, my God, the pilot got picked up. Right. That yeah. never yeah. happens. Yeah, it never happens. And I sort of saw that there was this role of like I could kind of be the mascot mm-hmm. for the show. Like I, I say this is like you can be the mascot but not the clown. Right. Mm. You know, the mascot just has like fun. Everyone's everyone's happy to see that person and they're enjoying the show. And so, you know, every person who's like, oh, man, I hate being here today because it's cold out or they're like, oh, it's okay. You know, this guy's having fun, you know, and. Well, talk about you used to wear suits. Right. The first day of shooting of every episode. And that's just because my mom is like out of control wearing clothes. I mean, I just like I'm a dandy. So, <laughs> like, you know, I just. Your mom is a becomes, federal judge. It becomes genetic. <laughs> so it was a stupid thing to do. But it, I think it, again, like kind of went to that mascot element of like, oh, this is fun. You know, it's it just, really was fun. Yeah, it was stupid. You know, I mean, yeah. it gave you guys something to smile about. And everybody's something to smile at. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, you really, yeah, did you set out, like, strategically thinking, I'm going to distinguish myself from everybody else? Or, I mean, are you just 
you know, you're just so fabulous that you couldn't no. help yourself. I, at that time, um, no, it was just a fun thing to do. I just felt like it's fun to get dressed up. I had no reason to do it. I had a tuxedo. I had a seersucker <laughs> suit. Like I had these things that were never getting worn, and it was just like, well – Okay, it's kind of a fun thing to do. I mean, in, in other shows I've worked on, you know, like I work in sitcoms, when you work on like a um, multicam show, a lot of times tape night has a little bit of a – I worked with a lot of writers who like came from Frasier. Uh-huh. And they, they'd wear suits. You know, oh, I mean, that was an old – I don't know whether that came from even generations before. You know, I mean, I know obviously men used to wear a lot more suits in the workplace. But I think it was just like, hey, you know, you wear a blazer or something on <laughs> tape night. <laughs> Um, th- now, one final thing about being an assistant, aside from the obvious, which is organizational skills, which yeah. you really want to have those on, on lockdown. Yeah. yeah. But in thinking about this, one thing we thought about is, you know, like everyone's not going to be this, but if you are a natural caretaker, yeah. that's a great quality, which I think you are. Yes. Even you don't though, seem like it. Which like, you don't, yes. Right. You're like a sarcastic dude, but you're a really good caretaker. Right. And yes. I think that comes through. And it's like now when we're looking to hire someone, we try to gauge that when we're meeting with them. It's like, do we feel like this person is a caretaker? We ask because, people if they have pets now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, no, like, I'm not yeah. a natural caretaker. And right. I was a horrible assistant whenever I, you know, did it. Because it's just not my nature. Yeah. Which is why I fear everything domestic. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I didn't uh, I didn't know that really about myself. Um a lot of it just became obvious to me, like after Judy, and that was more fear that I learned to care. Like, <laughs> oh my god, don't don't mess up, you know. <laughs> Once it's learned, then you recognize, oh, that's how you do it. You have to do your job when you're an assistant. You can't do the things you only want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's good advice. Yeah, I, I don't think know. it's what you said earlier too. It's when you were our assistant, you were excited about it, and you can't fake that. No, you I'm not excited about things excited anymore and sometimes, and it shows. And right. trouble for right. it, you know what I mean? Right. But, yeah. And we should say by the end, I mean, you were not happy to be there. Oh, well, yeah. Because you were over it, rightly so. No, I, you know, um, yeah, I, I had been working for you guys, and then um, you were on a show at that time called Lie to Me, and, like, I pitched an idea to do a freelance episode. It didn't get bought. I got so pissed. Mm-hmm. You know why I didn't get bought? Because it sucked. You know what I mean? It was like it wasn't good. I didn't I, I, I didn't know what I was doing in that frame field, but it changed immediately the next day. That was when I was just like, I'm out of here. Well, also, I think that crystallized for you that, wait a second, I should be a comedy writer. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I mean, very, I think yeah. up until then it was like, well, I'm working with drama people. I'm meeting all these drama people. Yes. I should be a drama writer. And then when that didn't happen, it was like, oh, wait, this isn't who I am. Well, no. And it's the, like all things, failure is such a better teacher than success. Yeah. Before we end our discussion on how to be a good assistant, I want to point out like everything you've said or most of it applies to being an assistant in any field. I mean, it applies to like starting at McDonald's. It applies to being an assistant at a bank. I mean, it's just making people love you and doing your job you know, incredibly skillfully will lead with enthusiasm will lead to moving up the ladder. Yes. At some point. Yeah. yeah. It might be indirect, mm-hmm. but it will happen. It yeah. may be your boss's friend. Right. Like in the case of us <laughs> with yeah. you. But, you know, it will it will pay off ultimately. Yeah. Yes, that is so true. 
Um, all right. Well, there will never be another Tony Dodds. We are so grateful for our time together, although it was fleeting. I know it was three years, but it was fleeting <laughs> for fleeting. us. Yes. No. Um, for your own taste of Tony, you can follow him on Twitter. He's at Tony Dodds, T-O-N-Y-D-O-D-D-S. That's right. Tony, thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. And Tony is staying. Tony has a Hollywood hack to help you improve your pitch. But first, a word from our sponsor. Okay, now it's time for this week's Hollywood hack, which is courtesy of Mr. Tony Dodds. All right. So uh, my hack is um, I have been working on a show. I was on The Odd Couple for three seasons, and then now I'm developing. This was told to me by a writer I met in a um, punch-up room that he listened to outlines on a voice like PDF reader, one of these apps that you can get where it'll read uh, your text back mm. to you. They've gotten better. You mm-hmm. know, so about five years ago, I don't think I would have pitched this as something. But you write up a pitch document, and then you have to load it into the old brain and memorize it. You can use these document readers to read it back to you. Mm-hmm. And it creates this weird thing of, like, you can listen to what you've written, and sometimes things become much clearer to you when you are hearing it than mm-hmm. when you're reading it. You mm-hmm. think, hey, I'm landing all this stuff when I'm writing it down, and then you, you hear it back, and you're like, no, that idea is not complete. Mm-hmm. Um, almost like we all are fortunate that scripts get read at a table read, which right. can be highly illuminating. You're just like, oh, yeah, that scene doesn't work. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it comes into your mind in a different way than just reading it with your own eyes. That's such a good idea. And then yeah. – it also, like, as a comedy writer, I have mine set to, like, this, you know, Lilith or something, this British yeah. voice, <laughs> you know. And so she's reading your jokes back to you, and you're like, you know what, Lilith, you're doing terrible. Like, these are great jokes. Like, I can do this joke better than you. And the truth is you can. Right. But now that you've heard someone do the joke, you go like, oh, I could crush this. I know where the break of the joke is. I know where the rhythm of it, you know, because she just did it wrong, you know. And you're just like, <laughs> so those things, like. Being able to hear it because you just – you can't lean on your friends to yeah. like, hey, will you read this back to me? You know, yeah. So. Well, I think that's excellent yeah. um, that's advice. Really advice. PDF reader for preparing for a pitch. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure, again, this would apply to a pitch for any sort of oh, job, yeah, if you not were, just writers. Yeah. Yes. Getting ready for your interview. Yeah. Like these are the things I want to hit. Like yeah. know how they have to actually come out. Oh, yeah. that's a good idea too. All right. Well, we could probably do a whole episode about pitching. And one of these days we certainly will. Yes. Tony, thank you again oh, for coming you. in. Um, it's That's great awesome. to have you, and we're so thrilled that you're now a big, successful yes. writer. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Okay, Sarah, before we go, let's talk celebrity sightings. You had a celebrity sighting, and then you nudged me, so I had a celebrity sighting, too. Yes, which, for the record, is how our celebrity sightings usually happen. You have, like, that weird face thing where you don't recognize people. Yes. Um, and then I nudge you and then then we have a sighting. Um, I remember the first time that happened. Do you remember? No. Where? This was when we lived in Santa Monica. So like right after we moved here, we were on Main Street, that cute little Main Street oh, yeah. right by the ocean in Ocean Parks in Santa Monica. And we saw Carrie Fisher. I saw Carrie Fisher. Oh, right. <laughs> Was that in that little store, the, th- the women? Yeah. The, the, yes. Yes. Um, the, art, the artsy store. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, and then I went back in the store to yeah. look at her. Yeah, exactly. that was awesome. Thank goodness I have you walking around with me. I know, right? I'm your official sighter. So who did we see this time? This time we saw Mandy Moore. Oh, yes, the former pop star who's now 
a star of the wildly popular This Is Us yes, on NBC. Exactly. And it's probably one of our last um, This Is Us sightings. We've seen, I think, have we seen almost the whole cast? We haven't seen yeah. Sterling K. Brown. Yeah. But now we're no longer going to the Paramount lot. Yeah. And they, we should say, if we haven't before, they shoot on the Paramount lot. So yeah. it was very easy to see This Is Us people. And yeah. we actually saw her dressed for the show in a period dress. Yeah, like a 70s flowery brown dress. But I have to tell you, Sarah, I at least will still see the house from This Is Us, which is kind of a character in and of itself. That's true. It's sort of its own celebrity sighting because (laughs) the house um, where the family lives is directly across the street from my sister-in-law, Michelle. Aw. Yes. That's so fun. So I see that house whenever I go over there. Um, And then what's interesting is they use um, Michelle's house for like a green room sometimes, and it's been in the show um, yeah, so we're This Is Us all over the place. Yeah, that's so fun. It's, it's a very, rock. very L.A. thing. Very L.A. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Email us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com or better yet, send us a voice memo. Thanks for listening and please subscribe if you haven't already. And if you like the podcast, give us a review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps new listeners find us. Thank you so much to Elise Applebaum and Tony Dodds for joining us today. We miss you both. Yes. Thank you to our producer, Jennifer Lai. Also, thanks to Kristen Meinzer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Liz Craft and Sarah is at S Fame. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join the conversation. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain. And I'm Liz Craft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Tony looks so grown up now. I know. He was like a little boy when he worked for us. I know. Now he's a man and a father. And a dad. Oh, my God. I can't believe it.